Hello and welcome again to Metamorphosis, the podcast of Trinity United Methodist Church in Piedmont, Missouri, where we share the unchanging love of Jesus to change people's lives. I'm your host, Eric Sintel, and in this episode, I'm interviewing Dustin Arend. Um, Dustin Arend actually lives in St. Louis County, so just about two hours north of where we are in Piedmont, Missouri, southeast Missouri. Um, but Dustin is a writer on medium.com. Uh, medium.com is a blogging platform where, you know, literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people worldwide blog about their interests, passions, and expertise. Dustin is a, a lawyer turned stay-at-home dad. He has three sons, as he mentions in our interview. And I have read a number of his essays on Medium, but there was one recent essay he wrote um, that really jumped out at me because he mentioned working with this group called Recovering from Religion. And he, in the context of his essay, he was talking about how there are people who are coming from certain types of churches or faith backgrounds or communities that need help recovering from trauma they experienced, spiritual trauma, religious trauma they experienced within those communities as they began to think about things differently or change or shift their beliefs in certain ways. Um, and he, in his writing on Medium, he writes about the intersections of religion, politics, and law and culture, and he has a pretty interesting perspective. Um, so he is not a believer, as we get into in our interview, but nonetheless, I think he has some really good analysis of places and areas where the church has fallen short or could do better. Um, as we were talking, I was super impressed with his uh, breadth of knowledge of philosophy and theology, and so I really enjoyed this conversation and really appreciate Dustin coming on. So without any further ado, let's get to it. Um, Dustin, can you share some of your faith background and journey? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, so I was raised Catholic. Um, I went to Catholic grade schools and, and high school um, when I was a kid. Um, I actually grew up um, not far from here in Union, Missouri. You might know that's like uh, in Franklin County. Um, so it's like an hour outside of St. Louis. Um, and I would say I, uh, I didn't really start like questioning it until high school. Although even, I think by um, my freshman year, I was sort of, well, I'll, let me go back and, and say this. I never really had like a strong emotional connection to religion, the way a lot of people seem to, which may have made it easier to sort of drift away later. Um, uh, but I think um, a few things happened in high school that, uh, that kind of pushed me away. Um, so in junior high, um, I uh, studied uh, Greek and Roman mythology a lot. I was really into that. I actually um, won a prize for having one of the highest scores in the country on this um, mythology exam that they were giving, you know, for people oh, who cool. studied that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course, at the same time, I'm going to Catholic schools where we have a required religion class and you get to high school and you have a required theology class. And um, I think, the, you know, it's kind of an interesting story. The first time that I really sort of, start having doubts about religion, which until then I had basically just taken for granted. I think it was part of the background reality, you know? Um, it's like the water that the fish are swimming in, that they don't really, you know, in that speech, uh, this is water. It's kind of like that. You don't really think about it. It's just there. Um, but I, I remember I had my Bible with me um, and I was leafing through it. And um, I uh, I got to the, I, we have these, these 
this inset in the middle with with um, pictures, you know, like um, depictions of like the Garden of Eden or David dancing in front of the ark or Samson pulling down the temple or whatever, right? And uh, I just remember thinking about um, an image I saw on a on a book about Greek mythology, uh, and sort of having infusing those two things together and having this realization that like, oh my God, like this is like basically a book of myths, you know? And I was maybe 14 at the time, right? So I just gotten out of, I just started high school. Um, but that's like, when I first started looking at it, not as like an active, well, I mean, like a passive participant or a passive recipient of these of this cultural tradition and started actually sort of stepping outside of it and thinking about it almost from like an anthropologist standpoint, like, what is this, you know? And like, why do people believe in this? And why, like, this seems like a lot like these Greek myths, basically, like the structure and like what the purpose they serve. And like, I wonder why people think that these are just stories, but these other ones are here, like are real. So that kind of sort of jolted me awake out of that sort of, you know, passive just acceptance of it and made me start thinking about it more analytically, right? Mm. Um, and then th there were other issues too. Um, you know, I actually just recently was talking to my grandma about this, um, that when I was a kid, um, I really didn't like the clothes they made us get dressed up in to go to church. You know, it was uncomfortable. And I used to complain to my, my parents, like, you know, what does God care what you're wearing? <laughs> He's supposed to be able to see inside your heart and all this stuff, right? So I was already thinking sort of critically about this, these questions, sort of recognizing there were some kind of contradictions between what they were telling me and what I could observe. And I, and the other thing that I started to notice at that time was church was, it seemed, I want to be, I don't, I don't want to say something mean, but like, it seemed like a lot of what, what people did at church was more for the, the consumption of other people at church. Uh, yes. you know I mean? So like getting all dressed up, for example, yeah. you know, um, it wasn't so much about respecting God as it was like, you know, you could say it's respecting your neighbors or respecting the other people in the church, but also it sort of seemed to be like um, showing off a little bit. Sure. Um, so I started again. So at the same time that I'm trying, I'm thinking a little more critically about these stories. I'm also thinking about the complicated, you know, um, moral and emotional aspects of people's religious lives, you know, and, and not just taking it all for granted like I had before. Gotcha. Um I guess by the time I was done with high school, I had sort of come to the realization that like, well, let me, let me, let me back up again and say that in high school, we, one of our required theology courses was actually a world religions class. So here we were exposed to lots of different religious traditions, you know, and I think that class also made me feel like, well, he, there seems to be something that all these religions are aiming at, you know? But they all do it in their own way. And the way that they do it is sort of, it's contingent. It's mm. a function of the history of these various faith traditions and the history of the people who came up with these stories. So it's like, it's just like, um, there's, there's thousands of different languages in the world. There's no one true language, right? It's just, this is language is something that humans do. Um, perhaps we are instinctively like, um, language speaking animals maybe but the point is there's no one right language it's just which language you speak is a matter of function of where you were born right and the history of those people right? 
And so I began to think, think of religion as the same thing, you know, like maybe there's something true about it, but it's, it's all like culturally contingent. I, you'd be, I don't understand how, why anyone would say one religion was the true religion, you know? So then the question for me by that point was, well, is the, is the true thing that all these religions are aiming at some like supernatural being or is it something else? You know, maybe it's something about um, some moral truth or some philosophical truth about about some existential truth about human nature or human existence or something. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a supernatural thing. Like Buddhism, we studied Buddhism, and you know, while there are Mahayana Buddhists who might um, believe in supernatural beings or the Buddha was like a god kind of figure, there are others who don't believe in supernatural beings. You know, and for them, it's purely a moral uh, question. Um, or, an, or a philosophical uh, standpoint. So I began to see, uh, you know, the supernatural as not being really essential to what religion is. Um, and it, I guess by that point, and by the time I got to college, I was, I was kind of of the opinion that, yeah, I didn't really think that um, there, there were supernatural beings that, that that made any sense to me, you know? It seemed to me that, like, if something is real, it is part of nature. You know, you don't have to posit some other metaphysical realm. Um, and... What religion is getting at is something real in the human experience, um, and that's much more interesting to think about than, you know, um, debating the nature of some metaphysical being that can never be observed. Mm. I also didn't like, I didn't like, you know, intellectually, I just I didn't think it was, um, you know, to, to, to try to define something as being completely impervious to inquiry. <laughs> rub me the wrong way intellectually I, I didn't like that <laughs> yeah. I was like if you're going to make a an assertion you should be able to defend the assertion you know and uh, so yeah it's basically by the time then I was in college I pretty much completely drifted away from religion as it's normally conceived you know um, but I was still really fascinated by religion and by history uh, and, and culture and so I continued to study those things so yeah that's that's pretty much it <laughs> yeah, sure no yeah. it's that sounds, I think that's a very common experience, you know, as you get older, you start thinking more critically, asking questions, and you um, learn about other perspectives and other approaches to things, other ideas. Mm -hmm. um, so how would you describe your faith or spirituality now, if any? Like, you mentioned that, you know, you drifted away from religion as it's normally conceived. Mm -hmm. So, you know, do you have any kind of spirituality or... Uh, faith relationship um, now or or no so i mean it depends on how you how you define these words like spiritual or faith or whatever like I'm, i would consider myself like a humanist you know i think a lot of people think of atheists as almost like nihilists yeah i've actually met people i've met people where i've told them that i was an atheist and their reaction was what so you believe in nothing and it's like no <laughs> I, I don't think that's true for most atheists i mean there are probably some atheists who would say yeah they're nihilists but like i don't think that's true for most people who don't believe in god or gods or whatever um so I, these days i call myself more a humanist because that that i think it conveys more information you know um and so again it gets back to this idea of what do you mean by faith like um the christian theologian paul tillich defined faith as an ultimate concern um which to me, doesn't necessarily have to involve any kind of belief in the supernatural. It could just be um, um, a, uh, a belief in certain transcendent values like truth or justice, um, things like that, right? Um, and so you could have faith in those values, right? Um, 
And uh, you can't like prove, for example, I don't think that we're ever gonna get to a point, for example, where um, we have a perfectly just society or where we have a, a grand theory of everything in, in the realm of physics that, that absolutely answers every question and there can never be any more questions raised. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We, can get, we can have better knowledge. We can be less wrong by adhering to certain methodologies and we can get more understanding and that understanding can translate into greater power over nature, greater technology and stuff like that. But we're never gonna get to a point where we're out of questions. And the same thing with society. I don't think we're ever gonna get to a point where every, absolutely everybody feels like society is as perfectly just as it could be. You know I mean? We're always gonna be debating um, important moral or ethical issues and, and, and legal issues. Um, and that's fine. Uh, and the, 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 the important thing in the, then is to have methodologies in place, whether we're talking about the political realm where we hash out these, these ethical or legal discussions or the scientific or academic realm where we're hashing out these debates about physics or biology or whatever. The important thing is to have methodologies in place that help us improve our knowledge and help us improve our, our performance relative to our stated goals. You know, mm-hmm. the important thing is not to close ourselves off because of adherence to dogma or whatever um, and prevent future progress. Yeah. So you could argue again that that's a kind of faith because you know you're never going to get a final answer, you know, and yet you believe that it's worth um, pursuing that. You know, you can't prove that it's worth it, right? Yeah. Um, but you have faith in it. And, you know. Yeah, I, I actually like that a lot. Um, because it, you know, I, I often, I teach, you know, college writing and rhetoric, and I will often, at some point, you know, I'm teaching my students about logic, and like, you know, at some point, you just have to take the leap of faith, right, <laughs> and you have to, like, trust that your observations and measurements are accurate, and that the reasoning based on those things are, is accurate, um, so, you know, in your uh, Medium essay, you know, I've read several of your Medium essays, but the one that, you know, prompted me to reach out to you, you mentioned working with a group called Recovering from Religion. Yes. Um, could you just, you know, describe that group and tell us a little bit about their history and backstory? Uh, sure. Um, so I think the group was founded in 2009 by uh, Dr. Daryl Ray, who's a psychologist um, from Kansas City. Um, I think a lot of his work was with... Um, people who had like sexual trauma or issues with sexual health related to their religious experiences. Um, And I don't know that the group was specifically founded to deal with that, but like that was one thing that he was concerned with. I mean, there were a lot of psychological issues that people had that I think that he, that he, that he met Um, like fear of hell was another one. Mm -hmm. Like even after people stopped believing that, that fear of hell that was instilled in them as a little kid can still be like kind of traumatizing. Um, but really, I think Dr. Ray would probably say that the, the most important reason for founding the group was to create or to give a sense of community back to people who had been ostracized from theirs as a result of their leaving their religion. Um, so like I joined in 2013 as a volunteer organizer um, back when I was living in Alexandria. Um, and uh, yeah, so my group, um, we had a lot of regulars and we had a lot of people who you know came in for some meetings and, and and then just stayed for a few meetings and then, then left. Um, in that area, there were a lot of like ex-Mormons, ex-evangelicals, uh, like Southern Baptists, um, uh, ex-Catholics. We even had some ex-Muslims in the group. Um, 
Um, there are actually whole groups just devoted to Mormons. In fact, um, two of the guys who I knew from the Recovering from Religion group who were formerly Mormon had told me about having also gone to ex-Mormon support groups. Uh, so that's apparently a pretty big deal. Um, but yeah, that's, um, I don't like, I've only met Dr. Ray and um, I think Gail Jordan is, is his like number two. I've only met them like once or twice. Um, but, um, but yeah, um, he's written also some books um, about specifically the issue of um, like sexual health and its relation to um, religion, but also some on just more general topics too. Sure. And so, so recovering from religion is basically like um, a ch it's organization with a lot of local chapters of support groups for people who are yeah. going to process, you know, the trauma of, you know, for whatever reason, leaving a faith community or feeling mm -hmm. ostracized by the people in that mm -hmm. faith community. You know, I and I unfortunately I think that's very common. You know that people. Mm -hmm. Um, they stop believing or they start believing differently, you know, maybe they don't leave, you know, their faith entirely, but they um, come to different beliefs than what that particular congregation holds. And then mm -hmm. the people that they thought were their friends and, you know, maybe even their family in some cases kind of ostracizes them as afterward. Um, mm -hmm. That's of course, incredibly painful for people. Um, so, you know, that, it, it strikes me that it's sad that a group like recovering from religion is needed. Um, what are your thoughts about that or your reaction to that, that statement? Um, I mean, this is obviously something that I've had a lot of um, time to think about. Um, and, you know, you think about who are the people who are showing up? Uh, to these meetings, um, what kind of faith traditions are they coming from? What is it about those kinds of faith traditions? Because um, not, I, I, I didn't see people from a lot of certain churches, I, but I saw a lot of people from other kinds of churches, mm -hmm. and I started to like think about like what's what, what makes the difference. And you know, at the risk of overgeneralizing, I would say that you could divide um, religion as currently practiced or experienced, uh, at least in the United States, but probably this applies in most of the rest of the world too, into two kind of categories. And I would call these one, the first category espouses what I call the theology of static revelation. And the other espouses what I call the theology of dynamic revelation. So what do I mean by that? Static revelation, if it had a motto, it would be God has spoken. You know, you have your sacred scriptures, you have uh, some kind of divinely ordained worldly hierarchy. And your role as a believer in this tradition is simply to look at look to those authorities for what God wants you to do and obey. It's not up to you to question. And um, if you do question, or if you uh, do anything to go against the authorities or the hierarchy, uh, then you're going to be punished or ostracized or shunned or whatever. Um, and the other one, what I would call the, the so then, so having orthodox beliefs is very important, right? And respect for the church hierarchy is very, very important, okay? In that tradition. By contrast, what I would call the theology of dynamic revelation, if it had a motto, it would be God is still speaking. And so in this tradition, what's really important is not so much orthodox belief, but 
the values that those beliefs are meant to orient you toward and working out what it means to live those values, practically speaking, on a day-to-day -day basis. And it, those traditions invite argument and criticism about how do we live out these values? You know, what's the proper way? And um, there's this sense that um, God or whatever higher power you want to imagine reveals the meaning of these values over time through our effort to bring those values into being, into existence, right? And so it's very important um, to constantly be thinking about, you know, how do we interpret these, these scriptures or, or uh, you know what I mean? Not just accepting them at face value, but thinking about what they could mean, you know, going forward. Um, now, between those two traditions, where do you think most of the people were coming from when they came to my meetings? I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in your um, essay, you know, you specifically mentioned that, you know, these are conservative churches. Um, For the most part, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, conservative, liberal, progressive, you know, these terms have a lot of baggage, but just if we could set that aside for a second, I mean, what you describe about the importance of having orthodox beliefs and, um, you know, this, I, this motto that God has spoken. And I mean, that is very conservative in the literal sense, you know, we're conserving this set of beliefs and these traditions. Um, and then anything that kind of questions that or pushes back against that or critiques it can be perceived or treated as a threat. Um, mm. And so, you know, I'm, I'm thinking too of uh, Josh Packard's book, Church Refugees. Um, and I interviewed Josh for this podcast in the past. Mm. Um, in that book, he talks about the characteristics of people who ultimately left their churches and had been very committed members, like, you know, mm -hmm. serving and everything, helping with everything, and then ended up leaving. And one, there were several characteristics or reasons in common, but one of them was they wanted to have discussions and dialogues and quite ask questions and explore them. And that got shut down. And, you know, they were told, you know, don't question, don't, believe, you know, uh, dialogue about this, just believe X and only X. And if you don't, you're not really a Christian anymore. You're not really, you know, part of our congregation anymore. So, I mean, it makes perfect sense as you describe that, you know, why, that's the the primary group that you're seeing in the, these recovery groups. Um, and you know, me personally, I don't feel myself like, I don't feel like I'm recovering from religion. Like I don't feel like I was traumatized by it necessarily, but I do fit into that category of people who, in, just like I described to you before, I began to have that more anthropological kind of um, posture towards it. And I wanted to explore these ideas of like, okay, what is this? What are all these different religions actually getting at? And I, I would have loved to have conversations about that where, with a critical stance towards the Bible or Christianity in discussions with my family, my parents, but they really didn't want to, they, they took that almost as like a personal insult. Yeah. Like you're challenging their identity, you know, they're challenging their sense of self. And so they, they wouldn't have those conversations. And I, and I think that's part of what, like if I had, if they had come from a faith tradition that welcomed that kind of criticism, you know, like I have a Jewish friends who, who told me that like, um, you know, they'll go to the rabbi and say, hey, rabbi, I think, I think I don't believe in God. And the rabbi will be like, 
that's okay. Just come and do the prayers with us. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, like it's a completely different attitude. <laughs> yeah. And if, I think if I had grown up in a faith tradition that had that attitude, I mean, I might not have left it. Who knows? I might've, I might've just had a, or maybe I would have eventually, or maybe I would have had, maybe like I, I knew a guy who um, calls himself Christian a teacher at a seminary. And yet when I talk to him about it, it's very clear that his concept of God is much more like that existential sort of concept rather than any kind of empirical like belief in some kind of being you know he's, he's it's much more of a theological concept construct for him a, a philosophical construct i think i could have ended up being somebody like that you know and, and and not have ever called myself an atheist necessarily you know what i mean yeah and i still think it's possible to build churches where you have that um attitude like nobody's ever recovering from the ucc as far as i can tell uh, I've, never, I've never met anybody <laughs> uh, and that's many recovering unitarians uh, yeah that's what i was gonna ask that's the unitarian church correct right okay yeah but, in, I, but anyway it's like um yeah so I, I actually think i did get pushed away for the same reason that your your um other guest mentioned but you know um when i had i have i have three boys of my own now and yeah. um I remember thinking um, that I didn't want them to feel like I was shutting down or I was refusing to engage uh, in these kinds of discussions, these kinds of questions. Um, and so some years ago, I ended up, I wrote an essay basically explaining why I felt the way I did about religion. Um, because I, I wanted to have it right there. Like if they ever wanted to know when they got older, why do you believe in you? Like, there you go. And, and, you know, and we can talk about it. We can engage in it. And, and so that they wouldn't have the same feelings that I had vis-a-vis -vis my parents in the sense that, you know, upset that they wouldn't talk about it. Sure. Um, and um, ended up that project started out as just one essay. Right. And I did so much research for it. I mean, I knew why I, believe what I did, but like I also knew because I had read over the years various articles and books that I had looked up because I was interested in these topics. Remember, I was taking this attitude of like almost like a scientist trying to understand why do these people believe what they do? I wanted to understand the phenomenon of belief, you know. So over the years I had read various books and articles to that end and and I and I, I looked up all those materials again. I gathered them all together and I started writing this essay. And as I wrote it, I realized I had so much material beyond just explaining my views on religion. And I was like, man, I could write another essay about like, you know, questions about morality. Like I had this ideas about, um, you know, because a lot of people think morality comes from religion, uh, which I think is exactly the opposite. I think human beings are inherently moral animals. We have these suite of moral emotions that we've evolved, like a lot of social animals have. And religion is a belief system that is created by cultures later and that develop stories or other things to explain our moral emotions but it the one came before the other and it wasn't religion you know um and so i but i realized i had all this material on that and i wanted to write another essay to explain my my feelings about moral uh, philosophy and stuff like that and then i realized i had enough material to write things about um art you know and 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 and, and concepts of beauty and things like that and so i just started writing a bunch of different essays and it ended up being this big long book <laughs> so basically now i have and i dedicate to my son because i basically has like this here basically is my my worldview you know yeah uh, in a in a book format so you can and i think i yeah i think it did but it all started from the feeling that i didn't want them to feel 
alienated from me because I refused to explain how I felt about the big questions that I knew they were going to ask eventually. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And, you know, I have a, an eight-year-old son myself and, you know, he's very perceptive and insightful and asks some really great questions sometimes. And, um, particularly about, about a lot of things, but including, you know, faith and religion and, um, you know, and, and it's interesting because I, when I was younger, I would say that I was more conservative or fundamentalist in the sense of thinking it was really important to believe these right things, you know, and if mm-hmm. you didn't believe these things, then you were in trouble potentially, or, and now um, I'm much more, I've evolved much more to what you just were describing earlier. Well, you know, what are our values and how do what we think or believe orient us to those values and applying mm-hmm. them, living them out? Um, just yesterday, I was recording an episode, uh, a solo episode for this podcast, and I brought up this guy named Science Mike. You, you may have heard of him. Um, his real name's Mike McCard, but, you know, he's kind of goes by Science Mike and, and has done a lot of work in, um, you know, kind of deconstructing Christian spaces. And he, um, you know, he will say things like, you know, I'm not sure on some days, I'm not sure if I really am a Christian or not, but, you know, you talk to my pastor, he'll tell you every Sunday I'm at church and I'm, you know, loving people and loving God and my actions. And so that's kind of where I'm arri- I've arrived is, you know, do you have to believe all these right things? You know, is God really interested in us passing the doctrine test (laughs) or is he more interested in how we live out and apply these values of our faith? Um, And, you know, whatever beliefs help you to do that, believe that, you know, and and I, I resonate with a lot of what you're saying. I think if I, hadn't evolved in that direction i might have ultimately left the faith too or at least left organized religion um Mm -hmm. because you know if you're there i think if you if you put too much emphasis on believing the right things it kind of cheapens what faith is supposed to do right it cheapens that oh absolutely yeah yeah in okay. fact, you know, I'm, although I don't believe in like supernatural beings and stuff, like sometimes I I may ruffle some feathers among the secular community or whatever, when I, 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 I like to use religious terminology, things like faith or idolatry sure. Um, sure. to illustrate points about the difference between a worldview that encourages um, the deepening and broadening of your understanding of the world versus one that closes you off from doing those things. Yeah. And I think, you know, we go back to the theology of static revelation versus dynamic revelation again. To me, for, in, in terms of like religious terminology, static revelation almost, it seems like an idolatrous system of belief because of what it does is it takes current um, um, things like, say, the Bible, right? And it elevates it to the object of worship. Yes. rather than the transcendent values that that will necessarily go beyond any finite representation of them, including the Bible, right? Um, whereas the dynamic revelation theology strikes me as much more in keeping with the concept of faith as having the, as having this limitless horizon 
that you that you pursue but you can never cross you know um so yeah when i think of like you know like the ten commandments where it says you can't make a graven image you know or have other gods before me whatever it seems to me that like a lot of religion has currently practiced elevates things like um uh political goals or scriptures um uh or even things like race or identity above those things can never be truly transcendent values you know um but they get they get um they get idolized and worshiped you know and typically in these more conservative churches um but that's to me that's not genuine faith and in fact the um, the philosopher john dewey warned about this um a long time like a century ago in a book called the common faith where he talks about like it it, it shows a lack of of moral faith to to want to believe that you know instead of believing that the world should be a certain way and that it's up to all of us to pool our efforts and and and, and live out our values the, go the going is going to get rough sometimes and when it does we're having we're tempted to say well it doesn't matter because the very structure of reality um god or whatever already instantiates these values right so mm -hmm. it's in other words god or some other higher power is um uh guaranteeing our ultimate victory right or whatever and and he said no if you're if you're falling back on um or you're trying to to freeze your your pursuit of of, of the good into some kind of metaphysical structure of reality, you're actually showing a lack of faith there. Mm. You know? um, but I think that's what a lot of the more conservative churches do. Yeah, that, that all reminds me a lot of what uh, Peter Inns calls the sin of certainty, you know, that you... Yeah, exactly, you, exactly. Yeah, these are the beliefs you have to have and we're 100% about them and you elevate those to an idol, you know, like that becomes more important than being sensitive to like the Holy Spirit. You know, I think a lot of Christians, you know, at least in my experience, you know, are kind of nervous about that idea, you know, how do I tell if this is the Holy Spirit or me, you know, and so then they retreat to, well, the Bible says it right here which is like you describe a form of idolatry. I mean, you're elevating that to a status uh, ahead of the Holy Spirit. And if you believe in the Trinity, that is God itself <laughs> that you're elevating it above. Um, so yeah, I agree with all of that. I think that's really well said. Um, we've kind of been dancing. Well, I, first I wanna add one thing, mm -hmm. you know, along with my evolution of beliefs, you know, toward um, less toward you have to believe the right things and be certain about them and more to, you know, try to orient yourself toward these values. Um, I, you know, I have come to the place where, you know, who am I to say who's in and who's out, <laughs> you know, like mm -hmm. who am I to say, you know, you're, you know, science Mike, you know, you can't call yourself a Christian um, when, you know, he very well may be aligned with God in his heart as evidenced by the way he's living his life, um, you know, and I would even say that includes yourself and others, you know, like, and that takes a lot of the anxiety 
a way, you know, I imagine you in recovering from religion, you encounter a lot of people who are coming from those uh, static revelation backgrounds and are like really anxious, not, you know, like you mentioned the fear of hell, you know, they're really anxious and afraid about hell, not just for themselves, but maybe even for other people. Um, And, you know, for me, I've arrived at a place where I say, that's above my pray grade. And I don't know, you know, I, I kind of follow C.S. Lewis and some other thinkers and concluding, you know, that's, um, you know, that's between those people and God. <laughs> and, and I don't know, you know, what, what is important, you know, is it believing these things or is it orienting yourself toward these values? And if you're orienting yourself to those values, I don't know that you necessarily have to believe this or that about theology or the Bible or doctrine. Um, what, mm-hmm. What's your reaction to that? Well, yeah, I think, so here's where I think we get into a fundamental tension in terms of the purposes that religion serves, right? I think it serves two main functions that are fundamentally at odds with one another, that are ultimately at odds with one another. One of those is what we've been talking about here, where the traditions and the stories serve to orient members of community towards values that um, help them better relate to one another and to be better people, right? But I think religion also serves as a a badge or marker of tribal identity. Mm. And when you have a large heterogeneous community where there's different faith traditions, those two sets of values are are, are, going to conflict with one another. Because if you want to have everyone in that community kind of getting together and, or, and, and agreeing on values that they want to live by and that are going to improve um, the state of the community for everyone, it's probably going to mean compromising on the specific markers of their tribal identity. You know what I mean? On the other hand, if they want to retain the, 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 that tribal identity as the most important thing about their religion, they're going to necessarily come to see each other as having different values, even if they don't really, like even if actually both of the, all these sets of stories are really kind of getting at the same thing, they're not going to see it that way. Yeah. Um, That's really interesting. Obviously like, yeah, obviously different religions place different weights on different values um, and they uh, interpret them differently. So you have more liberal communities or churches and more conservative ones, right? Um, but they're all concerned on some level with people getting along and, um, uh, not violating basic norms. Um, and they use these different stories and, and structures to, to, to further that goal. So, yeah, I think, you know, I would obviously prefer, um, a more humanist outlook. Everyone had a more humanist outlook where they took all of these different faith traditions as, and myths and legends and stories as like part of a global corpus of um, of human artifacts that are aimed at general moral concerns that all people have, and they're kind of just engaging in a dialogue about you know how do we get the most out of these. But we seem to be living in an era now where it's the tribal identity thing that's becoming more important for a lot of people. Yeah, I think that. That's a good uh, analysis. Um, the you know 
multiple times now, as you've been talking, you've brought to my mind the Southern Baptist Convention and their position on women preaching. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a, I think, a textbook example of a concrete example of a lot of what you're describing um, that goes wrong with religion at times. You know, you have um, this congregation that identifies um, around certain identity markers like well you know we're the southern baptist convention and we don't you know we follow the bible as the inerrant word of god and right here it says women can't preach um mm -hmm. so we're not going to allow that and that makes us different and anyone who doesn't do that they're wrong and and it gets you know very problematic very quickly and you know when i read uh particularly the new testament the, the book of acts you know i see the the earliest disciples looking around themselves and observing huh well spirit is coming upon these gentiles just like it came upon us evidently mm -hmm. you can be gentile and follow jesus um apparently you know the kingdom of god includes not just jews but also gentiles mm -hmm. and they chose the complete opposite approach they you know observed what was going on around them reflected on their experience and decided well we need to expand the table um, and to me, like the SBC would be well served to stop idolizing the Bible and, you know, this one verse in Timothy and, um, and instead look around and say, wow, Beth Moore is an incredible Bible teacher that people yeah. really resonate with. Apparently women can be preachers, <laughs> you know, right. no, but, um, but you know, what we're getting at though here is I think a, a, a specific a special case of a general phenomenon sure and it has to do with how fast can a community evolve and assimilate new people and new ideas and still retain a sense of itself as that community sure right and you see the same tension in debates over like immigration where there are people who are more liberal who say um american identity is just about you know adherence to the constitution and to uh, this idea that, um, you know, doesn't matter what race you are, doesn't matter what uh, country you come from or your religious background, whatever you, you come here, you, and, and you, um, you, you embrace the, the fundamental um, freedoms and values in the constitution and, and boom, okay, you're American, you know, mm -hmm. but there's another set of people who are like, things are changing too fast. I don't recognize my community anymore. And I want to put up a wall and say, stop. Um, and I think you see the same thing in religion. Yeah. I mean, I think that I think that's just a special case of this more general idea of like, what does it mean for me to identify as X when X is this moving target? Um, if it's moving, if if it moves gradually, I'll move along with it, and I and it's almost imperceptible. You don't even notice, and and, yeah. it's, and that's one thing. If it moves really fast, people start to feel like they don't know, they don't understand anymore, they don't recognize anymore. And so they, and I think there's like, and remember what I said with, with my parents and, and the way that when I broached this topic, they felt like I was attacking their identity. There's, holding on to that identity is something that's so valuable, I think, for a lot of people that um, they will do whatever they can to stop it from changing into something else that they don't recognize anymore. And so I think that's the issue with a lot of these religions is that they're like, well, if we compromise on this and we compromise on that, then who are we anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think I agree completely. I think that's well said. You know, one, um, you know, one common criticism of liberal or progressive Christianity is, you know, it's moral relativism or it's, uh, you know, what do you stand for? And, you know, I've, I think that that's a misunderstanding, you know, because mm -hmm. you talk to progressive Christians or liberal Christians and they'd stand for lots of things, you know, they, yeah. they stand for treating people a certain way and not treating them other ways. They, you know, stand for, uh, generally speaking, they tend to stand for more inclusion and uh, mm -hmm. against exclusion. Um, you know, we've mentioned liberal and conservative a few times. And, you know, I think uh, Jonathan Haidt is helpful. You know, he talks about uh, openness to experience mm -hmm. as a personality trait, being a big right. influence. And, mm -hmm. you know, so if you're, not as your if your personality is not super open to experience you know you perceive that change or that uh evolution as you know like you said the target moving way too fast and i can't keep up with that and i want to slow it down if not stop it mm -hmm. um whereas people that just tend to be more open to new experiences different experiences kind of accept that and integrate that a little bit more easily or maybe a lot more easily yeah um Oh, definitely. I definitely agree. Um, uh, actually, I like his analysis of um, like people's moral emotions and the different weight that people give to them. And some of that is like even genetically determined. Um, so like you could understand then why people who, who were who were raised in a particular faith tradition, if they're not capable of simply accepting that, you know, they're going to have to move on. On the other hand, and also I wanted, I wanted to make this point, like the some of these more rigid belief systems, that rigidity can actually be a selling point for a lot of people. Yeah. Because it's um, uh, it's one of those things where like you know the only things worth um, doing uh, are are hard. You know, <laughs> like one of the problems with the more like progressive Christianity that a lot of people feel is like it doesn't put enough demands on you. It doesn't um, doesn't make you give you the sense of, of accomplishment of, of of you know of doing all the work that you have to do to adhere to something like that. You know. Um, on the other hand, there's plenty of opportunities. Like I think a lot of the more liberal Christianity is very much oriented towards social justice. So you have to be really committed to doing those kinds of things, you know. Um, but yeah, I think it takes a certain personality type to be attracted to the rigidity of the what we call the static revelation theologies. Um, yeah. And the other thing is when we live in a world where you're spoiled for choice. Um, <laughs> In terms of religions uh, or, or even just the various philosophical outlooks um a person who has a, a more open to experience personality why would they necessarily gravitate towards just one you know what i mean that may be another stumbling block for progressive churches recruiting more people you know what i mean yeah um that makes sense and that's a good segue um into one of my final questions i just have like two questions left um maybe three, depending on how you count them. <laughs> but but my uh, next question, we've kind of been talking around it, but how can churches uh, avoid becoming the kind of church that drives people toward a group like Recovering from Religion? You know, like how can churches better reach people, retain people, or just be, you know, more, uh, I would say, healthier types of places for people to explore their faith well um i mean i think there has to be 
and this is but this this gets back to the issue of like you know can a leopard change its spots like and it, what what is really what may be really attractive uh, to some of these kinds of churches for people is the fact that it has certain aspects that if it changed in the direction you're talking about now, it wouldn't be that church anymore. Like if you dismantle the hierarchy of the Catholic church or the Southern Baptist convention, you know, it would certainly um, maybe make a lot of the laity feel like they had more of a stake in it. At the same time, it wouldn't have the, um, it wouldn't have the uh, rigor that is attractive to a lot of people, you know? Um, if you try to hold clergy more accountable, um, you're necessarily inculcating the value that you need to speak up and criticize, which again, and I, I agree with that, except I know people, there are people who feel like that's a threat to their community. You know, like they're, they're really afraid that if you pull one thread, the whole thing will unravel, yeah. you know, which if you ask me, like, if that's actually true, then it suggests that there is something fundamentally wrong with the foundation of your faith. Um, you know, it's interesting you say that because that is, that's been a big part of my faith journey, you know, is recognizing that, you know, that a faith based on being absolutely certain about every, you know, this list of doctrines, you know, what Pedens calls that sin of certainty is a very fragile faith. Um, yes, exactly. And, you know, like you said, if you pull one thread, if it all comes out or unravels, you know, that's a, that's a problem. <laughs> and so I've really, you know, deconstructed a lot of my past beliefs and ideas and thought about, okay, what do I believe and why? And I feel like I've reconstructed a much stronger faith in large part because I don't feel the need to be so certain about everything. <laughs> like mm -hmm. I tolerate and accept some ambiguity and, you know, learning from different perspectives and maybe different multiple things being true at the same time in some cases. Um, and it just, you know, I feel just a lot less stressed and anxious about yeah. faith in general, which frees me up to then enjoy and practice my faith. Um, so my, my last question, it's kind of two questions in one, but what is one thing you wish Christians would stop doing and one thing you wish they would start or continue doing? Oh, man. Um, well, I really wish Christians would stop confusing faith with belief. Yeah. I, I think a lot of times when when people say that goes against my faith what they really mean is that goes against my beliefs um and so again what do i mean by that a belief is a is a statement about the world right um it's like an empirical stance you know you're saying x is the case yeah that's a belief faith is is an as an existential stance it's a, a statement of like i believe that i'm i i i'm gonna choose to value something because to me, it has this inherent value, right? And, and I'm going to try to act in a way that like furthers that value. Um, that's the essence of faith to me. And I think that gets confused. And so, so many Christians talk about, like, you know, a lot of the people that I met in Recovering for Religion were gay men. Because they were pushed basically out of their churches because their churches would tell them that um, being homosexual is against your faith. No. They had 
beliefs, these churches and the pastors that, that uh, ran these churches had beliefs about homosexuality, but that's not a question of faith, you know? And you can analyze those beliefs and pick them apart, uh, explain where they come from, explain why the implicit assumptions behind those beliefs don't match up to reality. Um, but they shouldn't get away with being able to say, that's my faith, you know? If you're making an assertion of belief, you're responsible for defending that belief but they want to say oh no it's just my faith so i don't have to explain it or i don't have to you know that's something i really wish um that christians would stop doing um and then what was the other part of the question what is one thing you wish christians would either continue doing or start doing oh well i really like the tradition uh among a lot of christians whether it's like some of the more liberal mainline churches or among a lot of liberal catholics of um working for social justice I really think they need to emphasize that aspect of um, their religion more. Um, and I think they, you know, should continue to reach out to, you know, whether it's liberal Jews or liberal Muslims or other people who, um, who also see, who come from a similar um, faith tradition, who revere some of the same sacred texts and who draw from those sacred texts, the idea that they have an obligation to improve the, the state of the world and improve people's lives, you know, as part of their faith. I want to see more of that, you know. Yeah. I don't like the the idea that um, to be a Christian is to somehow freeze a society in a certain uh, configuration um, based on certain beliefs that you drew from the Bible. I don't think the genuine faith is about freezing anything in place. It's about a continuous exploration um, and a continuous improvement. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Dustin, thank you for your time and for coming on the show to, to share some of your experience and perspective. I'd like to give you a chance to tell our listeners where they can uh, read your essays and medium or where they can find your work or how else they might support your, your writing and your work. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, just look me up on medium.com for any of my articles. Um, and then I also have a book called Truth Evolves, which you can get on, it's on Amazon. Um, there's an paperback and a kindle version um so it's again truth evolves is the title um it's not a long book it's kind of it's can be difficult in parts but um you can also skip around so if you don't want to read some chapters you want to focus on others there's like six chapters uh, first half of the book deals with uh, questions of epistemology the second half of the book is more about ethics um the first half of the book has chapters on um uh, how the brain creates a meaning from experience as chapters on um, aesthetics, like beauty, um, sense of interestingness in things. Uh, it has a chapter on religion. The second half has chapters on our moral emotions, on um, political questions, and like final chapters about existential questions, like, you know, what is the meaning of life and stuff like that? Like, sure. how do you grapple with questions? Like, how do you approach questions like that? Um, and is that questions the like free, about free will and things like that, you know? Cool. Is that the book you wrote for your sons? Yeah. Yeah, very cool. I actually was wanting to ask at some point, you know, if you'd published that or were going to publish that. So that's really cool that you have. And, and that's available on Amazon. Truth Evolve. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, again, Dustin, thank you very much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Um, I really appreciate Dustin coming on the podcast, especially 
since he's someone who describes himself as not believing in God, and yet he was willing to come on a podcast by a church for a church, and and that was really uh, brave, really uh, vulnerable. I really appreciate that. And I think he makes a lot of really great points. I think his analysis is really insightful. Um, and I especially like his description of static revelation versus dynamic revelation. And because I, I think that does capture a lot of kind of the underlying attitudes and psychology that may drive a lot of the behaviors we see in churches that seem very high control. Um, and, you know, you really got to believe the right things as listed here um, versus churches that are more open to exploration and questions and doubts and rethinking things. And, um, and I think that, you know, for the church as a whole, American Christianity as a whole, you know, we're, we're going to have to go more toward that openness to exploration and experience because um, I agree with Dustin. That's where faith really is. You know, our faith is not just a mental agreement with a set of beliefs or doctrines. Our faith is a alignment of our hearts with God, with the ethic and values of Jesus. You know, it's an orientation of our lives toward that. Um, and I believe that that's where our salvation, our reconciliation to God really comes from. Um, is this ongoing um, engagement with or orientation toward or alignment with God and the values and ethics of Jesus. Um, we have grace from God to cover up the inevitable numerous mistakes that we make in our efforts to have hearts ever more aligned with and to God. Um, and to act in accordance with those arts and that alignment in accordance with God's will. Um, so I do believe, you know, ultimately our salvation, our reconciliation to God comes through grace alone because we mess it up so much that we have to have God's freely given preemptive forgiveness and mercy um, as we try our best to follow the greatest commandment of loving God and loving others. So thank you, as always, for, for listening, and uh, please share this podcast with anybody who might be uh, in need of a different perspective or wanting to explore different ideas. Um, if they've got it all figured out, then there's no need to share this with them. So thank you very much, as always. Uh, please rate and review if you haven't already. Please tell people about the podcast. God bless.